Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Targeted. True crime, domestic violence. We tell stories of those who were targeted by domestic abuse and investigate cases of family violence using academic research to interpret the events. As a college professor, I think we need to stop making family violence a secret. Let's use our stories to help, heal, and provoke change. Season three features the case of Josh Osborne, which is a story of abuse when he woke up, she was abusing him. When he went to sleep, she was abusing him. So his abuse was nonstop. It didn't matter what he did. Yeah. It was nonstop. But it is also a story of hope. Targeted. True crime, domestic violence. Listen to us for free on all of your favorite podcatchers. Peace, my friends. Peace. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. Hey, welcome to Ride Around Blonde. This week's story is straight out of a Hollywood horror movie. Parents to three children decide that they have room in their home for one more. A girl that's an unfortunate orphan from the Ukraine. And when this girl comes to live with them, this new blended family is put to the test. So much so that these parents put the child in an apartment to live by herself. See, they allege that the girl isn't a child at all, but actually a 22-year-old woman who is a sociopath. But is this the truth? 
The couple was recently charged with neglect because the courts don't think she's a woman, but really a little girl. The story is wild, and I can't wait to tell it to you. So this week, I'm going to talk about Natalia Barnett, child or adult sociopath. So first, we have to go back some years ago. Michael and Christine Barnett were parents to Jacob, Wesley, and Ethan. Their oldest child, Jacob, was different from his brother's. Jacob had become something of a child prodigy. Jacob, or Jake as his family called him, was born in 1998, and he was diagnosed with autism and Asperger's syndrome. That diagnosis was crushing to the couple, who were told that he might never even possibly speak. But Jake proved the doctors wrong. And when he started to show an interest in astronomy at the early age of three, his parents, Christine and Michael, encouraged him. And they soon realized he had an astonishing knowledge of the subject, enough to correct a lecturer at their local planetarium about the planets. And this child had an amazing brain. He had taught himself Braille and could answer complex questions about astrophysics. Apparently, he would sit on the floor and make accurate street maps using Q-tips just from memory. So Christine began homeschooling Jake. But it wasn't long before his parents moved him to classes at Indiana University Purdue Institute, Indianapolis, because he was an absolute whiz when it came to math. In fact, he graduated at the age of 12. Now, if you're a parent, you brag on your kid, of course. I mean, I do it when my kid makes the honor roll. So can you imagine having a child graduate from a university? Naturally, they were very proud, supportive parents. And Christine decided to tell the family story in a memoir published in 2013 called The Spark, a mother's story of nurturing genius and autism. The book tells how, when told that Jake would never even be able to tie his shoes, Christine followed her instinct and she pulled her son out of special education. From there, Christine, who ran a daycare center out of her garage, instead focused on Jake's, quote, spark, or what he was interested in. Her basic idea was not to focus on what he couldn't do, but what he could do. The book was very well received. It got great reviews from the Washington Post to Sylvia Nassar, who is the author of A Beautiful Mind. It's the book about John Nash. The spark put the family in the spotlight, getting Jake and his mother appearances on television, such as a segment in 2012 on 60 Minutes. And then Christine became a very vocal advocate for those dealing with autism. Now, before the book was published in 2010, Christine and Michael decided to open their home to this orphan from the Ukraine. Now, in several articles that I read, the couple adopted the girl two years after she came to the United States. I guess before then, she'd lived with another family but I couldn't really find out information as why she was no longer living with them. So it could simply be that they were a foster family or, after some of these things that I've read, something more sinister. I did read somewhere they gave her up, but they wouldn't reveal the circumstances. The girl was named Natalia Grace, and the couple was told by the adoption agency that she was six years old but not much else about her background, so the Barnetts were very eager to welcome this girl into their home, so much so that they completed a 24-hour emergency adoption. 
But one thing that they did know about Natalia was that she was born with a condition called spondylophysal. It's basically an inherited bone disorder that results in dwarfism. It's a congenital disorder. It's due to a mutation in the gene that works with collagen molecules, preventing bones to develop properly. And it mainly affects the spine. People born with the disorder have shortened trunks and limbs, but average size hands and feet. They can suffer from hearing loss, a cleft palate, or vision problems. It's a condition that would require a lot of special attention and work from whomever is caring for this child. And since Christine and Michael already dealt so well with their eldest son's issues with such great success, they felt that they were equipped to handle and care for this young girl. But it ended up not being the case at all. Natalia, according to Christine, was a nightmare. Natalia made threats to the family, saying she was going to kill them. Christine claims that one day she saw the girl putting chemicals, which could have possibly been bleach, into her coffee. When she asked the girl what she was doing, Natalia just replied with, I'm trying to poison you. In addition, she reportedly tried to stab them when they were sleeping, causing them to hide all their knives. And she once tried to push her adopted mother into an electric fence. They would find her standing over them in the middle of the night just staring at them. She reportedly one time jumped out of a moving car and had smeared blood on a mirror. And not only was she violent, but then Christine suspected that she wasn't a child at all, but an adult. So why did she suspect this? Well, the first time she gave Natalia a bath, she looked down at the child in the tub and she noticed full pubic hair. In addition, Natalia had periods and wisdom teeth. And it's not what you would expect from a young girl. I mean, girls can get their periods young, of course, but most experience their periods around the age of 12 or older. I mean, it's not unheard of to get yours younger. I mean, the other day I heard a coworker say she got hers when she was eight, but six, I've never heard. Plus, Christine noticed that the girl didn't act much like a child either. According to her, she didn't play with dolls, but instead wanted to hang around teenage girls. It got to the point where the Barnetts even doubted the girl was from the Ukraine. Christine said Natalia had a very extensive vocabulary for such a young child, and she didn't speak with an accent. One day, they had a family friend come over and speak to her in her native language, and they said Natalia didn't understand a word. A Washington Post article by Antonio Nori Farzan obtained court documents that showed an examination was given on June 3rd, 2010 at Peyton Manning Children's Hospital, which approximated the girl's age to be eight. And then in 2012, doctors performed a skeletal survey which showed her age to be 11 or 12, but still a child regardless, right? That's why what they did next proved to be so shocking. Michael and Christine then went to an Indiana court and changed Natalia's age legally to 22. Doctors reportedly determined that she was an adult due to her wisdom teeth, periods, and adult characteristics. Christine Barnett has since shown a letter that she got from a doctor to Wish TV saying as much, but the hospital wouldn't comment. The same letter said that the girl, quote, made a career out of perpetuating her age facade. 
This letter went on to say that in 2012, Natalia had been committed to a psychiatric hospital where she claimed to be 18 years of age. It also said the records from the Ukrainian officials had been grossly incomplete. Now, if you're following this timeline, this is around the same time that Christine was penning her memoir and Jake was featured on the news show 60 Minutes. I've read that you can even catch a glimpse of Natalia in the background in the segment. But oddly, in the author bio of her book, it says that Christine lives with her husband Michael and three sons in Canada. The family was living in Indiana, and there's no mention of a daughter, so what's going on? Well, the family moved to Ontario so that Jake could take classes in physics at a place called the Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics. And he was just 15 at the time. So as much is unclear about Natalia, everything about Jake is absolutely true. The kid was a true genius. He literally remembers every math problem he's ever done, possibly due to a photographic memory. At age 13, he was a published physicist who'd given a TED Talk called Forget What You Know. The school he went to in Waterloo was once home to teacher Stephen Hawking. He was their youngest student and submitted his master's at age 15. His mentor there was the famed author Lee Smolin. So you can see why the family uprooted from Indiana for him to go to this school. But where was Natalia? Well, she was left behind in Lafayette, Indiana. Michael had gotten an apartment for the girl near Purdue University. It's interesting because Michael, now divorced from Christine, tells a bit of a different story. He said that the girl was indeed a minor, and he went on to say that he and Christine had coached her to say that she was 22 and just looked young for her age if anyone asked. And then they left the girl all alone in this apartment. They paid the rent, but nothing else, no food or anything. Apparently, the neighbors then began to take care of her. In 2014, Natalia was evicted for not paying rent. The Washington Post article said that since she didn't leave a forwarding address, it later made it hard for officials to figure out where she had gone. Christine tried to explain all this by saying that she co-signed a lease and did pay rent for a year like she had done for her other children during their first year after leaving home. She claims that it was Natalia who cut communication with them. Christine claims that she went by the apartment to check on Natalia and found a pink bike and a pink dress, which led her to assume that Natalia was once again posing as a child. And 2014 was the year that everything kind of hit the fan. Michael and Christine divorced shortly after moving back to Indiana. And then in September, the Tippecanoe County Sheriff's Office were able to locate Natalia. And they apparently did this at the request of a school principal. However, I don't know this whole story. But it would take a few more years before the Barnetts would be charged with neglect. So an interesting thing happened in 2016. There was a couple that tried to become Natalia's legal guardians which was then opposed in court by the Barnetts. Oddly, in 2018, this couple withdrew their bid for guardianship, but it wasn't revealed why they did so. I read somewhere that was possibly due to her age being upheld in court as 22. 
Christine and Michael were then charged with two counts of felony neglect of a dependent. They both posted $5,000 bonds and were released. And apparently, efforts to find Natalia have turned up nothing. The couple deny any wrongdoing. Christine said on her Facebook page, From day one, this was a mission of love. But when you bring a child into your home, you expect them to be a child. To be accused of this is unconscionable to me. It's just horrifying. To me, the whole thing sounds very eerily similar to the plot of a 2009 movie called The Orphan. In this film, parents are played by Vera Farmiga and Peter Sarsgaard, and they adopt a young girl played by Isabel Furman. They lost a child earlier on in their lives due to Farmiga's alcoholism. And they come to find out that this adopted child is actually an adult, and she tries to seduce Sarsgaard. So it's a pretty creepy movie, actually. I did really enjoy it. So it makes you wonder if maybe Christine and Michael got the idea from it if they're not telling the truth. But what is it? Are they telling the truth or lying? Is she an adult or is she a child? Say they're telling the truth. This isn't the first time an adult has posed as a child or teen. I found a really interesting article on Ranker by Jacob Sheldon that told several other cases. I'm going to tell you about them right now. In 2007, Havens Roderick was busted after trying to enroll in two different Arizona schools as a 12-year-old boy. He was, in fact, 29. He was investigated because police thought that he might have been an abducted child. The two men he was living with thought that he was a child and they were having sex with him. But Roderick himself was also a sex offender. It's really crazy. The men had met him online and believed that he was a child. So how this 29-year-old man pulled off posing as a 12-year-old, I'll really never get. If you look him up online, he looks young, but I would guess maybe 16, not 12. It's a... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bizarre story. This next one is actually kind of brilliant. There's a really great article on GQ by Daniel Riley called The Great High School Imposter. It's about a 23-year-old Ukrainian guy named Artur Samarin who posed as a high school student named Asher Potts. So Samarin had come to the States in a foreign exchange student program. But when his time in the States was coming to an end, he and his two friends, Michael and Stephanie Potts, devised a plan. They went to an attorney to legally adopt him. But in order to be adopted, he had to change his age. Arthur Samarin went from 19 to 5 years younger and enrolled in high school. And the whole thing worked. He was an honor student with a 4.16 GPA. In addition, he was a member of the ROTC, the National Honor Society, and became a valedictorian candidate of Harrisburg High School. It's crazy. Arthur inspired to become an engineer and eventually worked for NASA. When anyone would question him about his accent, he would just explain that he grew up in a Russian-Jewish neighborhood. And any question that was asked about any oddity, he usually just laughed off with a joke. Arter made a lot of friends and totally immersed himself into high school culture. The mayor of Harrisburg even had an Asher Potts day. He had big plans to enroll in college after graduation. That was until one day in February of 2016 when two policemen entered his classroom asking to speak to him. So who turned him in? his adopted parents, Michael and Stephanie. See, home life was not so great in the Potts' home. Arthur Samaritan slept on a couch in a closet, kind of like Harry Potter, he said. Whenever he didn't do any of his chores, the Potts would threaten to turn him in or even beat him. So he ran away, but he always returned. But the last time he ran away was for a more extended period, and that's when the Potts went to the police. They claimed that they never knew his real age when they adopted him, that they just desperately wanted a child. And the Potts said that he was violent and had threatened to shoot up the high school, so he got arrested. He ended up getting sentenced to 11 to 23 months in prison. The charges stemmed from passport and social security fraud, as well as statutory sexual assault due to relations he had with fellow high school students. ICE sent him back to the Ukraine. Michael and Stephanie were also charged. Michael got two years of probation, and Stephanie got five months in federal prison and two years of probation. Both pled guilty to Social Security fraud and keeping an illegal alien. Her sentence was longer because she had had previous convictions of fraud. Now, this next one will kind of break your heart. 33-year-old Charity Johnson was a 10th grade student at the New Life Christian School in Longview, Texas. There she was known as Charity Stevens. She said her guardian was her sister, and no one raised an eyebrow because Charity looked like a teenager. She dressed like one. She often wore, like, Hello Kitty bows in her hair, and she was really cute. Charity had been in this whole system of foster care and other homes for years. I couldn't quite get the whole story of how she was caught, but there was some kind of an encounter with a police officer. 
And then she was arrested for giving the officer false information. Many of her former foster mothers then reached out to her when she was arrested. They were pretty supportive. One said, she's not a con artist for money. She's a con artist for love. Charity's backstory is pretty devastating. She was born in 1979 to drug-addicted parents. Child Protective Services had been called multiple times during the 80s to the home that she shared with her parents, Larry Johnson and Shirley Ann Burton. Her mother was physically and emotionally abusive to her. Diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic, Shirley Ann cared for her daughter before up and leaving in 1994. Apparently, her dad was in jail for murder. Her grandmother died the same month her mother deserted her, and her one older sister died from leukemia not long after that. So for a little while, she was with an older sister and her husband, but he allegedly sexually abused Charity. And then that's when they dropped her off at a home for troubled teens. But when it came time for her to leave foster care to go into independent living, Charity came up with the plan to pose as a teen. She would bounce from family to family after reaching out on Facebook to older women claiming to be in a bad situation. And many times she really was. There was one family that she lived with where the man was physically abusive to her and the mother as well and possibly raped Charity. So I I agree with this woman who said that she didn't commit any kind of fraud for money. This was for love. It's a really sad story. I guess she spent about a month in jail before being released. Perhaps the most famous case of an adult posing as a child was the case of Frederick Borden, most famously told in the documentary The Imposter. In 1994, 13-year-old Nicholas Barclay disappeared from San Antonio, Texas, after playing basketball with some friends. Three years after he disappeared, police got a call from a youth shelter clear in Spain. The caller said Nicholas was there after escaping a child sex ring operation. So Nicholas's half-sister immediately flew to Spain to retrieve her missing brother. And even though the Barclay family believed this to be Nicholas, others were pretty suspicious. Nicholas had blonde hair and this boy had brown hair and a French accent. He explained this all away by saying his captors had dyed his hair and he just picked up an accent while being in foreign countries. I guess even his eye color was different and he explained that they put some kind of chemicals in his eyes. In 1998, the FBI got a court order for Nicholas's blood and fingerprints. And that's when they discovered this wasn't Nicholas at all, but actually a 23-year-old man named Frederic Pierre Bourdain also known as the Chameleon, a man with an extensive criminal history. Borden had assumed over 500 false identities since childhood. He was raised by his grandparents before he ran away to Paris. The man made a life of transforming his appearance into whoever he wanted to be. One time, while pretending to be a teen in the French town of Grenoble, He was actually examined and declared by a doctor to be a teen. So he had people fooled. Through the years, he bounced from foster homes to orphanages to youth shelters, pretending to be various different teens. 
while with the Barclays, a television crew was filming, and they became suspicious of this child. So after getting busted, Bourdain further strung this family along by saying he had met the real Nicholas in Spain. He later declared the real Nicholas was dead, and then he changed his story again, saying he'd never even met him. He was sentenced to six years in prison for his deception. He was actually the one who phoned authorities originally, pretending to be the director of a shelter in Spain. He had heard of Nicholas Barclay from a woman at the shelter who thought that he might be the missing child. And he learned all the details about Nicholas from this woman. So he, then he was able to fool authorities in Texas. Afterward, the police investigated the Barclay family about possible involvement into Nicholas's disappearance. I guess both his mother and his brother were heroin addicts. Before his death in 1998 from an overdose, his brother was a possible suspect in his disappearance. But Nicholas has never been located. And it's really hard to tell what the family's actual involvement was. I mean, were they duped by the Frenchmen, or did they just simply want to believe that this was their missing Nicholas? Or were they complicit in a lie and went along with everything to cover up their own deception? And where is Nicholas? What happened to him? It's a very sad story. Hopefully, we will find out about Natalia Barnett's true story in the future. As of right now, I don't think anyone even knows her whereabouts. If you look up pictures of her, it's hard to form a conclusion of her age. Because of her dwarfism, it's really impossible. On one hand, she looks like a child, but on the other hand... I'm really kind of swayed by the Barnett's claims. I mean, think about it. Christine worked and dealt with Jake's struggles with autism and Asperger's syndrome. That wasn't easy. And they raised three children, so you would think they could adequately deal with the difficulties of Natalia's condition. So I wonder if there's any legitimacy to their claims. It's going to be a really interesting case to follow, so I will keep you updated for sure. So that was the story of Natalia Barnett. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so that you know when new episodes are released. I haven't been able to keep a schedule, but hoping that change since I've changed jobs. It's nice to be working day shifts, and I think I can get on a regular release schedule, but we'll see. You can find me on social media, so please join the Red Rum Blonde Facebook group. I want to welcome some new members, Taylor, Claudia, Kaylee, and Chuck. I hope I haven't left anybody out just yell at me if I did. I want to thank anyone who's been posting too. It's really awesome. So please feel free to post anything. I also really want to thank true crime blogger Sherlock Holmes at Sherlock with S-H-U-R-L-O-C-K for the shout out in his group. Man, that's greatly appreciated. And check out his crime blog. He's on Facebook, of course, or you can search crimeblogger1983.blogspot.com. He's doing some hard work for missing persons, and the world really needs that. But, you know, if Facebook isn't your thing, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, so check me out. Thanks a lot for listening to the podcast, and I'll catch you next week. <laughs>